On February 24, 2022, Dr. Alex Heidechek, a first-year cardiology fellow at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital in Philadelphia, received a group chat text message from his close Ukrainian friends and family that Russia invaded Ukraine. I'm sitting there at work, um, working late one night, and I uh, get this text basically saying that Ukraine is being invaded. It's just like sit there and just feel numb. You're like, how could this be happening? I, it's really just at a loss for words. The the things that we're talking about on, on those group chats, you know, they, they shifted from, you know, joking around about sports and the Buffalo Sabres and Buffalo Bills to now talking about like life and death matters of people from our, our home country. And uh, yeah, so really it's just been, you know, kind of uh, hits you square between the eyes and, and the, these are real life conversations and these are real people over there who are having their lives changed forever. I was following along with everything, obviously working at the hospital and really just got to the point where I just could not watch from the sidelines anymore and had to do something about it, had to help. And i um, fortunate to get linked up with, with this group called SSF, Saboteurs Sans Frontiers, which translates in French to Rescuers Without Borders and essentially volunteer as part of their medical team. This is the Health Nexus podcast powered by Jefferson Health. I'm Jessica Lopez. And I'm Carly Williams. We sat down with Dr. Heidechuk about his trip to Poland to provide medical care to Ukrainian refugees at the border. We'll talk about what he witnessed, the people he met, and how his life and their lives are forever changed. Dr. Heidechuk's days at a medical tent in Medica, Poland, located right at the border with Ukraine, were long, often working 14 to 16 plus hours a day. I would get to the, the medical tent and whether my quote unquote shift was starting yet or not, I would usually get there a couple hours early just to basically lend a hand and, and help in, in whichever way I could. So a lot of that started with, with basic translation for people as they were coming across the border and helping them placed for where they were going next all across Europe. But it was also sometimes just as simple as answering basic questions of where can they get food and water and a, a new SIM card because they don't have any forms of communication and kind of telling everybody that everything was, was free and that they didn't have to pay for anything. And so we would essentially be a utility person to just help do anything. Dr. Hayachuk says during the day, the temperatures fluctuated between 50 to 60 degrees. It was at night that it would drop to the 20s and 30s. No matter the time of day or the conditions, thousands were lined up waiting hours to cross the border. We were uh, talking with, with one of the, the Polish border patrol officers and um, just to get a sense of how many people were coming across and, and how this was typical or atypical. And he said basically like a year or two ago on a busy day, they would have maybe a thousand people cross per day. And now it was up to like eight, 10,000 people per day and up to 12,000 even more. And the type of care that people needed arriving to the border greatly varied. There were children's complaints. People were potentially coming to us at all hours. And we were staffing the clinic 24 hours with, with physicians. 
And so in terms of what we were seeing, it was, again, very variable. A lot of kind of pediatrics, basic nausea and vomiting or headache or just little kids being fussy. And the wounds of war on innocent civilians. We had people with gunshot wounds or like to the hand or something like that. And other people with um, that, that needed stitches for a variety of different reasons or someone who had like a cut um, above her eye from the glass that, that shattered from a bomb that went off nearby, traveled for five days and it was infected and had to get washed out. Another person got shot in the chest, but had a bulletproof vest on, but cracked ribs. And uh, other people were like, had recent heart attacks, but like them that are, you know, houses got bombed and they didn't have any of their meds. So figuring out the, just really like what you can do, what you have to offer, and then kind of set them up in the next step. And then you had the fact that there was a language barrier on top of all that. And so, you know, you could use Google translate, but that only gets you so far. I was the only person there that, that was a physician and spoke Ukrainian. In fact, like there weren't that many Ukrainian speakers in general, aside from the refugees. So I was, anytime that I wasn't really working, I was just around translating for, for people. And that a lot of the time wasn't medical care. Sometimes it was just empathizing with, with folks or really giving sympathy because you, you can't really have empathy as I was not in that scenario that they were in. And so, yeah, it was, it was just, uh, I think we were able to help like all across the board, whether it was just coordinating simple things to, you know giving them a big hug and, and handing them some warm food and uh, a blanket after they've been standing in the cold for 10 hours. However, even Dr. Haidachuk had limits on how far the Ukrainian he learned from his grandparents could take him, especially when communicating complex medical care. Luckily, he made some friends. This was a, a group of girls that were in a leadership academy back in Lviv, and they would essentially stay at the border on the Ukrainian side and, and sleep on the floor in train stations for three, four days in a row and, and come over and work in uh, the refugee camp 12, 14 hours a day. It was, it was quite amazing and inspiring that they were giving back to their own people like that. And I think that it really created this, this harmony in terms of Ukrainians helping each other and, you know, volunteers from all over the globe just there to serve a common cause, which was to help the Ukrainian people in any which way possible to make their lives better. It's the lives of the Ukrainian people that Dr. Haidachuk says are impossible to capture in the ongoing news coverage of the war in Ukraine. I think like really what's not captured is like these individual stories and uh, kind of like the Sipola, you know, happy when, when people kind of get out safely and whatnot, but a lot of them are like, now what? I don't have anything. Whilst my, some people don't even have like, they just have the clothes on their backs. And, uh, you know, even when you hear about that in the, in the, in the media, I don't think that it really hits home until you like talk with some of these people and they're asking you and they're like, what do I do? I don't have an answer for that. These people's lives are changed forever. And whether they're young or old, big or small or whatever, you know, like this is, this is a life changing thing. And yeah, it's just like the ripples of this are going to be probably gone for generations. Hearing the stories from my grandparents who were also refugees essentially after they got taken from their homes and put in forced labor camps. And so realistically, if, you know, had they gone back to Ukraine or something like that, instead of going to the U.S., I would have been you know, like one of these Ukrainians that was going to be fighting and, you know, my 
hypothetical family would have been crossing over as, as refugees and, and, and finding safety somewhere else in Europe. I think that that's another reason why it hit home because like that could have easily been, been me with, it was really just, you know, kind of luck of the draw of where I was born in the U.S. rather than being born in Ukraine. The nine days Dr. Heidechuk spent at the Polish-Ukrainian border connected him back to his roots and made him reflect on his life's path. I don't know if you're seen the movie Family Man with Nicolas Cage, but at the end of that movie, he's getting like a glimpse of what his life could have been like if he made different choices and he doesn't want to leave it. And um, he's trying not to fall asleep as like last night. And that's basically how I felt the whole time. It was like, I didn't want to fall asleep. I didn't want to leave. I just wanted it to last forever because I felt like we were making such a big difference in terms of helping everybody that I really felt at home and, and that's where it was meant to be. And, and so in this, in this really weird way, I felt like everything that I had done prior to that point, you know, growing up Ukrainian, speaking that at home, and then, you know, spending the last 15 years um, in medical training, you know, being able to, to combine that in, in knowing the language and, and the culture and being able to provide medical care as like, this is really, how could I not be here? And so it really just validated everything that ability to, to help begin the healing process felt like such a privilege to be able to hug and to hold these these folks and you know tell them that we're gonna help and and then hopefully things can start to get better obviously don't have a long-term solution but all we can do is 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 help them you know kind of restart things and uh, you know they were very thankful for that we were thankful to be able to do that Dr. Heidechek will continue his medical training at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital with the goal to ultimately specialize in advanced heart failure. This experience will forever impact his life's work as a cardiologist. Seeing the resilience of some of these people is really inspiring. And you know, I hope to just carry that with me for the rest of my life. And a Ukrainian flag hanging in a physician's lounge is a gift he will always have as a reminder. Yeah, so that's like the, the flag that I have here. So um, we had that in the, in the call room, but that was actually from those those girls that I was talking with. They were like, here, you need to take this home because basically they would wear wear these flags and that was almost like a indicator that they spoke Ukrainian or like identifier. And then they were like, well, you speak it too. So here you go. And so it was kind of like a gift. And I, I gave them a couple like hats that I had, like uh, Buffalo Sabres and Buffalo Bills. <laughs> so... It says, which means literal translation is everything will be Ukraine and essentially means like everything will be all right. For more on Dr. Alex Heidechuk, head to thehealthnexus.org where you can see photos and videos of his trip. We'll also be posting additional content from Dr. Heidechuk on Jefferson's social media channels. You're welcome to follow along there. You can also follow Dr. Heidechuk on Twitter. We'll link those accounts in the show notes. Production support for today's episode provided by Dan Bernstein and Barbara Henderson. We're your hosts, Jessica Lopez and Carly Williams. Thank you for listening.